Have you ever met a stoat? This is what they sound like. I'm looking at pictures of a couple right now, and okay, they're really cute, like a cross between a weasel and a meerkat with these tiny little paws and urgent, beady little eyes and long, agile bodies snaking around the nest like a couple of furry slinkies. The thing is, we don't like stoats here in New Zealand. The environmental group says a bumper crop of autumn seeds has fuelled a rat plague, but warns the worst is yet to come with a plague of stoats predicted next. They might look cute, but they are tiny little furry ninja assassins. Like in a pretty chilled and pacifist ecosystem, stoats are the stone-cold, murderous alpha predators. This stoat is about to take on an adversary ten times its size. So we want to get rid of them. And a brand new global breakthrough overseen by a New Zealand scientist in a lab in Auckland could be a key part of doing that. The genetic code for our most wanted pest, the stoat, has been revealed. I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, we're speaking to the man who mapped the stoat genome and possibly got the ball rolling down the road to wholesale eradication. That man's name is Dr Andrew Veal, and he has a dirty little secret. I really like stoats. I mean, they are fantastic creatures. Andrew has a stoat tattoo on his forearm. There's a picture of it on our website. Go check it out. I've been studying them now for a very long time. And, yeah, no, they are amazing. They shouldn't be here, but they are very interesting animals. Why are they here? Basically because foolish Europeans brought rabbits. And they brought the rabbits from about the 1860s, thinking that they would be fine and just did what they do in the UK. And they also wanted them as sport. And all of our plants uh, are not adapted to you know, herbivory. And so the rabbit populations skyrocketed. The colony was basically founded on farming. Mm-hmm. That's how we made our money. And the profits from that just disappeared. And so then the obvious solution to early Europeans in New Zealand were, why are they plagues here, but they're not plagues in Europe? It must be because Europe has all the predators. Mm -hmm. So let's introduce the predators, and that will fix the problem and mean that the run holders are no longer going out of business. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. Weasels, stoats, and ferrets were all introduced. Ferrets from the 1870s, and then stoats and weasels from the 1880s. And it was just to kill rabbits. And there were over, I think, 9,000 weasels and stoats that were introduced. Wow. The run holders basically said, we need this. The governments then helped pay for it. And quite often, the gamekeepers in England, where they all came from, paid to get rid of them. So the people bringing them over were triple dipping. They were getting paid by the game estates and the New Zealand government and the run holders, and they were making a fortune. So it, makes it, it creates an artificial economy in a yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Here's a stupid question I've always wondered. Why are rabbits such a big problem here? Like, what do they do in New Zealand that they don't do elsewhere? So there's a lot more productive grasslands here. Mm-hmm and uh, the different species. And so they don't have the toxins and things. Also, a lot of, say, central Otago is a lot drier than it is in the UK. Mm. 
And so that means that the rabbits can survive and proliferate more. And yes, we don't have diseases and predators for them. So it was just a completely novel environment, and then the rabbits did exceptionally well. They bred like rabbits. Exactly. <laughs> now, I was watching videos of stoats <laughs> just for fun, you know, as you do, and um, they're such cute little cuddly little creatures. Oh, well, they're, they're cuddly creatures, but they can kill things many times their size. They're lions of, the, of, of New Zealand, yes. you described them as. Yes, absolutely. So the way that they actually hunt... They run things down and overpower them for rabbits and uh, small mammals. Mm-hmm. They're phenomenal climbers. And, yeah, no, that they are athletes. So they're kind of like the alpha predators, in a sense. In... In, in most environments in New Zealand, they are. So they will be eating the rats and mice, which are also predators of a lot of our birds. But then they'll be eating the birds themselves. And so in many environments in New Zealand, they are the top predator. Stoats, as well as being the ninjas of New Zealand's ecosystem, are also indiscriminate carnivores. They'll eat pretty much anything from rats and mice to rabbits, hares, possums, wetter, lizards, freshwater crayfish, hedgehogs and also fish. Predator-free NZ reckons stoats kill up to 15,000 kiwi chicks every year. And they have a bizarre reproductive cycle. Female stoats get pregnant when they're barely weeks old. They don't actually give birth till they're adults, but every female stoat has multiple buns in the oven pretty much from day dot. They're also strong swimmers, strong climbers, and are suspicious of baits and traps, meaning they're extremely difficult to kill. And it's funny because I've gone to talks for Forest and Bird and had, you know, 80, 90-year-old women come up to me and tell me about the time that they bludgeoned a stoat to death with a rock, (laughs) which would shock most people in most countries. But conservation in New Zealand, terrestrial conservation, particularly conservation of birds, is killing small furry animals. That's how it works. That's that's kind of funny, in a sense, isn't it? I mean, bleakly funny, the idea that conservation is actually, you know, a big part of conservation is killing stuff. It is, on island ecosystems. And so this is a very difficult thing to explain. I've been to many conferences in Europe and North America And you try and explain this, and people just don't understand that our ecosystems work differently. We don't have native terrestrial mammals. And so the birds have filled those niches, and they've lost their defences against the introduced predators. And so it's very difficult for other people to understand. But it is very important to know that, you know, it's it's not habitat loss. If you go out to Tiritiri Matangi, it's a tiny island that is quite degraded. It was burnt regularly and now it's been replanted since the 1980s and it's covered in endangered birds. Mm. Now, why is that covered in endangered birds when if you go into the Waitakere Ranges most of those birds aren't there and it's much better habitat? It's because of the mammals. So basically, introduced mammals are messing things up big time and conservationists are loading up their arsenal to fight back. So even though we've had some success with wildlife sanctuaries using fences, they are banking on some new technology being invented that can achieve predator-free areas without those big fences to do it. A conservation group is trialling the use of drones, battery-powered self-priming traps and infrared cameras ahead of a 1080 drop in Egmont National Park. last three and a half months we've had a dedicated team of of 24 field operators out there servicing a network of over 7,000 different devices 
and that includes bait stations at every 50 metres, and, and they're designed to really knock our rat numbers as low as possible. But many of these options are cumbersome, labour-intensive, and difficult to implement on a massive scale. Like, you know the saying, know your enemy? That's what Andrew Veal's trying to do on a micro level through understanding their genome. The genetic code for our most wanted pest, the stoat, has been revealed. The stoat genome, created by a team of Kiwi and international scientists, is one of the highest quality vertebrate genomes ever produced. A genome is all of the DNA in your body. Now, each cell in your body has the same DNA, and you inherited that from your parents, and it goes into making every organism. So that's what a genome is. It's the sum total of your DNA. Now, DNA goes to RNA, goes to protein, and basically it is the blueprint for making an animal or a plant or whatever. And now we come to genome mapping. This is the last step in a complicated process which also involves genome sequencing and genome assembly. And, oh, well, do you understand any of this? Yeah, neither do I. So let's use a metaphor, which I'm pinching from science journalist Vivian Marks. Imagine someone gave you a thousand different editions of The Great Gatsby and put them all in a wood chipper. Your job is to put them all back together. And while you know the book is The Great Gatsby, you don't know any of the words inside. You have to figure them out from scratch. That's why it takes a long time. But once you have a species genome mapped, you can learn a lot about them say if we did this with humans Mm -hmm. we'd be able to go okay this is one person and this is their sibling and this is their mother and this is their father and that's where they all were now we know that they were all together at some point and so then you can go well what landscape features make the most sense in terms of describing the similarity of individuals because let's just say that they you know everywhere was identical then it would just be distance you know, as you get further away, you'll be less related. Mm -hmm. But if they're moving along certain features, then they go, well, generally we're finding that closely related ones are predicted by these habitat features. And then you can go, well, this is probably how they have moved. So instead of looking at how a stoat has moved across the landscape, you're looking at how their genes have moved across the landscape. Oh, okay. And when you talk about landscape features, what are you talking about there? So it could be forest, grasslands, rivers. Uh, For many species in New Zealand, say possums, rivers are probably a really good barrier. Possums are not swimmers. Stoats are, unfortunately. So it might be that rivers actually connect areas more. Okay. And so how can this help us... In the fight against stoats. <laughs> well, that, that's just one thing. So this would be planning how many traps along what features for a given conservation area. But there, there's lots of other things that we are doing. One thing is I'm developing forensic markers. So, for instance, on Browns Island recently there was a stoat. It disappeared at around the same time as a stoat appeared on Motutapu Island. Now, is this the same stoat? Well, we have dead pigeons with saliva, and we've proved that there was stoat DNA in that saliva on the dead pigeon on Browns Island. Now, if we catch it on um, Motutapu, or if we just get uh, a dead bird from there or some scat, we'll then be able to use these forensic markers to go, is it the same one? 
And then we're also looking at, well, how can you use the genome to create better toxins? And so basically the way I think of it is a genome is kind of like a, say, car manual or how to build a car, you know, the entire instructions. And if it was to say only use this kind of oil for your car, well, then you could go, ah, okay, maybe that's important. And so then you could use that information to develop something that would change that. Okay. Um, so there, there's lots of different ways that we're already starting to look at that. With this is uh, for, for looking at species-specific toxins, it would be here are all the sequences of all of the important receptors. Now, we don't want to be relying on toxins that kill everything in the future. We'd like things to be both humane and specific. So if I can design something, or obviously someone can design something, that targets this receptor on this particular animal and does this, that's the ideal. We want something that is precision. The ideal is that we have something that has no other effects. The thing is that many of the toxins, they are the best things that we have right now, yeah. and uh, we shouldn't debate that. But still, developing the best thing is something that is very potent, very humane, and very specific. So genomes are kind of like, what, like understanding species on a really, really micro kind of level, and then you can use that information to learn a whole lot about different aspects. Like you can learn a lot about humans and, for example, how a disease might react with the human body and how you could develop better medicines for humans, mm. or you could use it um, in a slightly more guru kind of way to figure out how to wipe out stoats more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, th there's so many things that have come out uh, with humans every day. There's uh, new uh, diseases and drugs and everything else that are coming from knowing the genome so well and having huge numbers of people, millions of people now have their genome sequenced. Um, with stoats, one has yeah. it. But the thing is that in future, we can do many more. Now, it costs a lot of money to, you know, because all of the sequencing technologies are uh, very cutting edge and therefore still relatively expensive. But it would literally be a hundred times cheaper to now sequence the next stoat. Because you already have. Because we have that. So it's sort of like having a jigsaw puzzle and now we have the exact description. And so you just go, well, here's a little bit. Okay, it goes there rather than having to go, well, where do all these bits go without any idea? So you've kind of been, to use the jigsaw metaphor, which is actually quite a helpful metaphor, you've been given a whole lot of pieces of a jigsaw and no picture, yeah. and it takes a long time to piece together that picture yes. with no reference point, but now you have the reference point. Exactly. So now we've got everything fully described, and so you just place it onto that. And so it's, it's very quick and cheap. If you're a regular listener to the show, you've probably heard us talking about gene editing technology, G-E-N-E. -E. It's got scientists, some scientists, very excited about, around the globe. And it's got some conservationists excited too, because the technology could one day wipe out entire pest species if you decided that's what you wanted to do with it. But there are consequences. The Sustainability Council is warning that gene editing technology offers the power to deliver extinction to order on species like possums, but warns what happens if it gets into protected possum populations in Australia. 
One um, area that, uh, again, I, there's probably a little bit of a PR issue here in a sense, right? Like, as you say, mm. people hear genetics and they're like, oh, oh Gattaca, you know, mm. oh, this is no. weird kind of stuff. And one thing that um, is, is talked about in New Zealand a lot is the idea of gene drives. C- can you explain a little bit about what that is theoretically? A gene drive is something that forces uh, inheritance so that instead of being a 50-50 chance of getting a gene, it goes up. The way that some people have imagined it, and it's never been proven successful, is that you could, say, make them all male. Mm. Ah, yeah. But, as I said, it's incredibly difficult. There's lots of social issues, philosophical issues, Mm. and before we can address any of that, we need to have lots of conversations in the country, and this is all going to be done elsewhere in the world well before we... Uh, even properly contemplate it. And presumably over a very long period of time. Oh, yeah, yeah. So for now, very much my research is trying to understand the genome rather than do any changes to it so that uh, we can come up with things that will work now. You know, if we try and go, okay, well, there's maybe mythical technology in the future, uh, we're waiting for something that may never appear. And there are conservation concerns right now, and so we need to be addressing those right now, which is how do you stop stoats from killing all the birds effectively? It's a little bit creepy sometimes, understanding so much about things. I, I don't think it's creepy. It's it's just interesting data. And so it, it's not uh, weird or wrong to understand more. It's It's what you do with that information that could be creepy. And so, I mean, right now, I'm just trying to understand stoats, and that's not creepy at all. Lots of people have concerns about things about modifying it. That's not where we have to go. We can just use it to understand things. We don't have to modify. And so when most people hear genetics, they go, oh, scary, genetic modification. We're not talking about genetic modification. We're talking about understanding It's like uh, with the human genome. No one was worried that suddenly we're going to do something with that and, you know, create hybrid people or something. It was about, okay, we now have the ability to find out about lots of diseases because it's just information. But we have done that. This is the doctor who changed the future of the human race and let the world know on YouTube. He Jen stunned the scientific community with the claim he pushed the boundary no one else had. A line has been crossed that should not have been crossed. It's very disturbing. It's inappropriate. Oh, this is huge. He says he genetically edited human embryos, not just for research but for implantation, leading to the world's first births of genetically altered humans, baby girls born in China from embryos designed to be resistant to HIV. I guess the development of that technology, this is what I was sort of alluding to before, is the idea that like the development of technologies like that mean and the possibilities that those open up can be misappropriated. And so it's, it's an interesting area, right? It, it, it is. The thing is that uh, it's, it's just information. And given that no one cares about stoats, really, and the rest of the entire world, there are various biologists that like them and want to know their evolutionary history. Mm. Uh, there are people that want to save them where they are more endangered. 
and there are people here that don't like them and want to get rid of them. It's not a controversial issue at all to just understand them more. So I, I don't think that there's any difficulties there. Is there an element of kind of like playing God here that we have to be careful about? I I dislike the metaphor of playing God. Yeah. I think it's often used inappropriately. And uh, the thing is, planting a radiator pine in New Zealand, they are not from here. They're from Monterey in California. You're playing God by planting that. Doing anything to the environment is changing it. And so if we were to remove stoats, we need to be very careful to make sure that uh, removing stoats doesn't increase rats or whatever. We need to do those studies. But any environmental change, including putting a road through, planting a tree, it's all environmental change, and I see it all as basically the same thing. It's all playing God or none of it is, I suppose. Yeah, but basically we are all changing the environment in ways that hopefully we can predict and we should try to predict any actions and the outcomes from them. That's the detail for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Dr. Andrew Veal. Matewa. Matewa.